Welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad that you are here. Uh, we're in week two of our Christmas series called Hopes and Fears, uh, talking about how really the birth of Jesus meets us right in our hopes and right in our fears for today. And, and uh, last week we talked about how really our past can sometimes haunt us, but Jesus can really change all of that with his mercy and with his grace. But maybe you're here this morning and you hear us say that Jesus meets us in our hopes and our fears, and you're just sitting there thinking, like, how on earth does a baby born 2,000 years ago have anything to do with what is going on in my life today? Like, like, how does some kid that was born all those two centuries, or uh, yeah, two centuries ago, how does that even like change what is going on in my life, 21st century? How does it make a difference? Like, have you seen what's going on in our world? Shootings, political wars, all kinds of uh, upheaval, economic recession, fears about the future. Have you seen what's going on in my life personally? Issues with my family, issues with my coworkers. Like, how does the birth of Jesus actually? change those things. Maybe if you're honest this morning, you're sitting there and thinking, you know, the birth of Jesus, it just, it feels a little disconnected from what is going on in my life. Feels like it's some story from a long time ago. Doesn't feel like it has a ton of difference for me. And I want to first say that that's okay. You don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be ashamed of that this morning. I think a lot of us have been there and can be there often. I know I often struggle at Christmas time uh, to just kind of to actually understand the significance of what is going on and how it relates to what I'm what I'm going through and what I'm feeling today in 21st century life. I think Christmas time can come with all very really divided uh, reactions and emotions. Some of us are a little bit more of the Grinch or Scrooge at Christmas times, and some of us are a little bit more like Buddy the Elf, right? Some of us are really excited about what's to come, and some of us are kind of just like, mm, I, don't, I don't really want to be here. Or maybe we just, even if we are a little bit of Buddy the Elf most of the time, we can still, at Christmas time, still struggle with fears or with anxieties or with just other things that are going on in our life, and it's like this tree in my living room doesn't change the reality of what's going on. And so as we approach Christmas this season, we wanted to just take a moment. We wanted to pause. We wanted to be honest. We want to ask this question. What is causing you fear this Christmas? What is causing me fear this Christmas? What is causing uh, tightness in my body? What is uh, keeping me awake at night? Or what is weighing on my heart and my mind as I'm driving to work in the morning? Maybe for you, it's, it's the family. Uh, you never know what's going to happen when they all get together at holiday time, but you know it's not going to be pretty. Uh, maybe for you, it's a relationship that's just on the rocks right now, and you're not really sure if it's even going to survive. Maybe for you, it's, it's whether or not you can really afford much of anything for your kids for Christmas. Maybe it's the economy or your job or the credit card bill you know is coming in January. Maybe for you, it's our political situation. I mean, every day we're told to, to be afraid of or to worry about something new, aren't we? Maybe for you, it's, it's the dread of having the first Christmas without mom, without your sister, or whoever it is you may have lost this year. This Christmas is going to be my first Christmas without my grandma, and I'm going to miss her thoughtful presence that she always got for all of us grandkids, always from Kohl's. Um, that woman loved Kohl's. 
Um, but she always, got, but each one of them was thoughtful. It wasn't just like, oh, great, something else from Kohl's. Uh, it was actually something that was really helpful. We're going to miss her this year. I don't know what it might be for you, but as we dive into the Christmas story again today, we thought it would be good to just kind of admit that sometimes we can have some fears as we approach Christmas time and maybe even take some time to stop and to name what those things are. Because the reality is you can't really defeat what you don't define. If you don't actually talk about it, if you don't name it, you're not really going to be able to overcome it. And that fear is just going to keep you from moving forward. It does us no good to ignore or to suppress our fears. We need to actually admit them so that we can move on. And so as you think about that, that fear for you this Christmas, what I want to do this morning is take us back to the first Christmas and, and, and show us that there was actually some fear on that first Christmas as well, what they, were fe- what they were afraid of in that first century Israel. I mean, sometimes when we read the Christmas story, I think we can miss what's truly going on here because maybe we've heard the story a bunch of times and we just kind of, we don't really lean into the story and ask good Questions. I think what can happen is we try to make it uh, the Christmas story kind of like this Hallmark movie um, that's really happy and it has a really great ending and everything goes really, really well. But when you, when you look at the story for what it is, there's a lot there that's not very cozy, not very cute, not very Hallmarky, if that's a word. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be going back to that first Christmas and, and look at how Jesus was really born into a world full of Fear, And we're going to see in that story, while our world looks different today, we're really, facing, we're really facing a lot of the same fears. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so to know what it was like on that first Christmas, we need to first understand what it was like to live under Roman rule. You see, at this time, the Jewish people who Jesus was born into, they were not a free people. They had been conquered by the Romans. And if you remember much of your history, you might know that the Romans were excellent at conquering other people. Um, They were really good at uh, coming into a place, just totally taking over, taking control, establishing rule, but they were also known for ruling with uh, brutality, with force, and with Fear. These were not people to be messed with. Uh, they, they ruled with absolute authority. They didn't deal lightly with rebellion or with opposition. In fact, there's a, an account of a guy named Spartacus, which is a really dope name. Um, you don't want to mess with a Spartacus on the playground. Like, that's, that's a guy you don't mess with. I want to name my son that. Um, my wife probably won't let me. Um, but great name. Anyway, Spartacus um, led this rebellion and the army came in and they just totally wiped them out. But not only did they wipe them out, in order to make kind of a show of it, what they did is they crucified 6,000 people along a 120 mile stretch of road. Basically what they were trying to do is say to everyone who walked along that road, this is what happens when you defy the Romans. This is what happens when you rebel against us. We are in charge. And so these are the people who were ruling at the time. And the Caesar Augustus that's talked about, he's not a very cuddly guy either. Um, He was known for ruling pretty much like a dictator with absolute authority, with brutal control over his people. He called himself the son of a God, making himself at least partly divine and saying, you know what, I'm worthy of worship and I'm worthy of Authority, and he would force people when he uh, when he conquered people. He would he would force them to. You had two options: either you could swear allegiance to him, or you could die. Those were your two choices. 
Great choices, right? Um, Now, he would promise to take care of you if you swore allegiance to him. You could get provision, you could get protection, you could get peace, uh, forgiveness for your rebellion, all those things, but all you had to do was swear that Caesar is Lord. If you've ever looked at military spending, you know that to power and to, to pay for a massive army like what the Romans had, you have to have some pretty heavy taxes, Um, and, uh, those who were conquered by the Romans often bore most of the weight of that taxation. They were known to pay upwards of 40% in taxes. And before the IRS existed, the only way to know how, how much taxes you were supposed to be getting was to require a census. And so that's what we find here in Luke chapter two, verse one. And so the Christmas story really begins with a vicious ruler demanding money from the people he has violently conquered. It's not exactly the the cute Christmas story that we sometimes have in our minds. Let's continue in verse 4. Come to Joseph and Mary. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here we have the account of Joseph and Mary and the birth of Jesus. And and Luke told us in the previous chapter that an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to become pregnant even though she is a virgin. And so now this, this woman who's Uh, engaged at the time to Joseph is pregnant, and that is not a good image in that society. It was more than just frowned upon. In fact, you could get killed or exiled for having sex outside of marriage. That was a very, very serious thing. And now all of a sudden she's claiming that the baby is God's. Like, who's going to believe that story, right? And to make her story even more unbelievable, uh, God has not spoken for about 400 years at this time. Throughout the Old Testament, God would uh, speak to prophets and to other people to reveal his word to them, but he's been silent for like 400 years. And I would imagine in the midst of that, people would begin to wonder, like, has God forgotten about us? Is he still there? Does he care about what is going on in our lives? And then all of a sudden, you've got this pregnant teenager who's showing up and saying, the baby is God's and an angel told me. Like, I don't, I'm not sure I'd buy that story if that's what was told to me. And so now we have Joseph and Mary, probably outcasts, certainly talked about as scandalous. Maybe you can identify with that feeling of being judged for something that you didn't do or something that you used to do, but you've now changed and it's not a part of who you are anymore. You felt those eyes of judgment. Well, that was the the weight and the fear of what Mary and Joseph were carrying into that first Christmas. And now add to that, this couple has to travel about 90 miles to go get registered. And remember, there was no cars to make that journey easy. This was on foot or riding an animal. And on top of that, this woman is like nine months pregnant. Um, I've not been nine months pregnant before, but I'm told it's pretty uncomfortable to do just about anything, let alone walk 90 miles. That trip would have taken about 48 hours of straight walking. That's not counting a second to stop and rest and eat or sleep or, you know, do any of the things you need to do as a human being. Um, And so that would have taken probably over a week long journey of having to walk on foot again, nine months pregnant. Went on a hiking trip this summer 
And I think our longest day hiking, we did 14 miles, which took us from 9 a.m. to about 5.30 p.m. So if you do it at that pace, that's probably, what, six days of walking that's going to take you in order to get there in time. And then Mary and Joseph finally get there, and there's not even a, a guest room available for them to stay in. And so they have to have this baby far from home, far from everything they know. They don't even have a nice place to stay This is the reality of the first Christmas. And so at this first Christmas, we really have a whole bunch of fears. We've got economic fears. Taxation is just absolutely unbearable. We've got political fears. Rome is ruling. No one is free. They are a harsh ruler. We've got religious fears. Caesar is declaring himself to be a god. God has been, actual god, has been silent for 400 years We've got family fears. I mean, imagine having to take that kind of trip with your, your wife, nine months pregnant, having to have the, your first baby far from home, far from everything you know. There was all kinds of fears on this first Christmas. It's not the cute manger scene we often picture, but it is the reality of that first Christmas. And so as you think about your fears, I want us to see that they're really not so different from what they were facing 2,000 years years ago. Might look a little different on the surface, but in reality, what's under the surface, we are facing the exact same things. But we're still really left with the question, how does this baby in a manger, how does it help you with your fears for today? What difference does it make? Let's continue reading in verse 8 to get the answer to that question. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good noise, or good noise, good news, not the same thing. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. And so now we have these angels that appear to some shepherds who were really an outcast class of society. They were not uh, popular people. They were not the people that you went to. And yet God decided that they were the first people who needed to hear about the birth of Jesus. And in this announcement, they call this baby Savior. They call him Messiah. They call him Lord. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God had promised that he would send someone who would finally and ultimately deal with sin. And really the whole story of the Old Testament is God working to bring about that promise, that he would send someone to finally deliver his people from their sin. And so the angels are saying that this baby that has been born is that long-awaited Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who's going to finally and ultimately deal with sin. That's who Jesus is. This is not just some baby. This is actually God in the flesh. See, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and we fell into sin, there has been this gap between God and between man due to their sin. And in the birth of this baby, there is someone who is finally going to close that gap. Someone who is finally going to make it possible for us to be with God again. And so in the person of Jesus, God is saying, I am coming near. I am coming close. I am sending you my own son. And so after thousands of years of waiting on this Messiah, 
After 400 years of silence from God, in the midst of all kinds of fears about the Roman rule and what that meant, in in the midst of Mary and Joseph having all the fears about what people are saying about them and having to have this baby far from home, in the midst of all of that, we have the spark of hope. Not just hope of of a new life, as amazing as that is, but the hope of redemption, the hope of God with us, the hope of salvation from our sins. You turn over two chapters to Luke chapter 4, in verse 16, we find that Jesus has grown up and he is starting his earthly ministry. And one of the first things that he does is recorded for us here in Luke 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled fulfilled in your hearing. And so what Jesus is saying, in me, this scripture is fulfilled. In me, there is good news for the poor and freedom for the prisoner and for the blind. In me, there is sight for the blind. And so in the birth of this baby that we celebrate at Christmas time is the promise of hope, the promise of change, the promise of freedom. Really, this baby that has been born means that there can be hope. It changes everything. So what I want you to see this morning, if you forget everything else I've said this morning, here I want you to remember this. The fears of this life lose their power because Jesus is on the scene. Whatever fear you are facing this Christmas, it is not as big as Jesus. The birth of this baby really changes everything about the fears that we face, about the hopes that we have for today. Whatever is causing you to worry, to have anxiety at this this Christmas, it is not as big as the hope of God with us. No matter who you are, no matter where you came from, the birth of Jesus changes everything because really it is the birth of hope. And so whatever fears you might be facing, maybe maybe it's economic. Well, Jesus came to free us from being ruled by money and he promises to provide for our every need. Maybe it's political. Well, Jesus came to free us from trusting in human leaders that are ultimately going to fail us and to give us a better leader who's never going to let us down, who's never going to to fail us. No longer is Caesar Lord. No longer is Biden or Trump or whoever you might want to fill in the blank with. No longer are they Lord. Jesus is Lord. Maybe it's a religious fear. Jesus came to free us from the crushing weight of religion, of having to do, of having to perform He came to free us of all of that so that we could actually have a relationship with God. Maybe it's family fears. Jesus came to welcome us into the family of God with God as our father. Whatever you're facing this Christmas, it is not as big as Jesus. Birth of Jesus maybe didn't change a whole lot immediately, maybe just one more person in that sentence, that census, but, but really at the same time, it changed everything because it was the beginning of hope. So that leads us to ask this morning, where are you looking for hope this Christmas? 
Where are you looking for hope as you approach Christmas time? And before you say Jesus, because you know that's the right answer, I want you to really think about it. Like, where are you looking to get hope in the midst of those fears? Maybe for you, it's that Christmas bonus that you're hoping is coming and you're hoping is bigger than last year. Maybe it's a political leader or a friend or a spouse or your kids. Maybe you're a little bit like me and you're still kind of a kid at heart and you're hoping for some nice presents on Christmas Day. I don't know what it is for you, but I know my heart is often tempted to look for hope in things outside of Jesus. And I would suspect the same would be true for some of us this morning. The fears of this life can lead us to think that there is hope to be found in all sorts of things outside of Jesus, but each time they fall short and they just don't deliver on what we are hoping for. There's a devotional called New Morning Mercies that is really good, and I want to read a portion of it to you this morning because I think it captures for us exactly what we're talking about here. It says this, If you pay attention and listen carefully to what you and the people around you are saying, you'll realize that we are hope-obsessed. Little third grader Sally says to her mom as she gets ready for school, I sure hope girls at school like me. Mom thinks to herself that day, I hope our marriage gets better. Teenager Tim says to his buddy, I got a new job after school. I hope it's decent. Dad worries in the hope that he won't be one of the guys who's caught in the downsizing that his corporation is doing. From hoping that a certain meal will be good, I know I was certainly hoping that a lot, Uh, to hoping that we'll have the moral strength to do the things that we should do. Our lives are fueled and they are directed by hope. What we're all searching for is hope that won't disappoint us, that won't leave us hopeless in the end. What are you asking of something when you place your hope in it? You're asking it to give you peace of heart, to give your life meaning, to give you purpose and direction, to give you a reason to continue to help you get through difficulty and disappointment, to set you free from envy or anxiety, to give you joy in the morning and rest at night. Now that's a lot to ask of anything. And that fact confronts you with this reality. If your hope disappoints you, it's because it's the wrong hope. Hope is not a thing. It's not some present under the tree. Hope's not a location. It's not you far away from these ice storms. Although after shoveling six inches of ice, that kind of sounds nice. Uh, It's not a situation. It's not you at a new job or in a different family. It's not an experience. It's not you at Disney World. Hope is actually a person, and his name is Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, he is what your hoping heart has been searching for. Because what you've really been searching for is life. Real, heart-changing, heart-satisfying life. People can love you and respect you. Situations can make your life easier. Locations can bring some change to your life. Achievements can be temporarily satisfying, but they can't give you life. True, lasting hope is never found horizontally. It is only ever found vertically at the feet of the Messiah, the one who is hope. Jesus is our hope, the only one that can meet us in our fears and will actually deliver, who will actually give us what we are hoping for. And so I ask you again, where's your hope this Christmas? Where are you looking for life? Maybe another way we could kind of tackle this question is to say this, what you hope in is your king. And so who or what is your king? As we approach Christmas, what is really ruling on the throne of your life? So this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's remember that we're really celebrating the birth of a Savior and of a King. 
He isn't just some teacher. He's not just some baby. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The question is if you have made him your king this Christmas. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to make Jesus your, your forgiver and your leader, to let him be the king of your life, we'd really love to talk with you about how you can find hope and a relationship with Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you've made that decision, my question for you would be, is he still ruling as king? Or have other things started to kind of push him off the throne? If they have, I'd encourage you to take some time before Christmas to sit with God. Spend some time and say, God, can you help me put you back on the throne? I've let these other things get in the way. I've let these, these fears and these hopes about what's going on around me in the world, I've let them become really large in my life, but I want you to be on the throne this Christmas. Lastly, last week, we uh, closed with giving you two cards, one that said, my past, and you could write on it and throw it away. Remember that your past is not what defines you anymore. Then we give you another one that says, my future. And then on the other side, it had some, some truths from Ephesians about what is true of your life if you are a follower of Jesus. And this Christmas, what I would love for you to do is to think about your present and about your future in light of what is true of you. I want, I want you to think about your fears in light of what is true of you. Just taking a couple of these. I am chosen in Christ, number one. You know what that means? We, we can fear rejection. We can fear people rejecting us, not liking us, not thinking that we're good enough, but the God of the universe has chosen me if I am a follower of Jesus. That changes that fear. Number three, I'm, I'm adopted in Christ. We might fear not having enough or not knowing what to do, but God as our father means that the God of the universe is there for us to, to provide for us, to protect us, to guide us. He's our Father, not just our Lord. Number five, I'm God's handiwork. You are specially made. We, we can sometimes fear that we are not good enough, that we're not special enough, that we're not, you know, fill in the blank enough. God says that we are enough. The birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, it changes everything about our past, changes everything about our present, and it changes everything about our future. The fears of this life, they lose their power because Jesus is on the scene. The birth of Jesus changes everything because it is the birth of hope. And so whatever fear that might be for you this Christmas, I want you to know that Jesus is greater, Jesus is bigger, and Jesus has already conquered that fear. The question is if you are going to run to him this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus actually was willing for the Christmas story to be true. That he was willing to be born in humiliating, humble circumstances. That he was willing to take on flesh, to become one of us, broken creatures. Thank you that he was willing ultimately to do all of those things so that he could go to the cross and he could die in our place for our sins. Father, we thank you so much that the story of Christmas is actually true. And that it changes everything about the things that we face today. That no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what fears or anxieties or worries or heavy weights that we're carrying, Jesus is greater, Jesus is bigger, and Jesus has already overcome. 
Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.